0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the 5Tool Podcast. As always, I'm George Klein, and this week I talked to Arthur Jelen about the Super Bowl from last weekend. He's a Patriots fan and was obviously very happy about what materialized me. Not so much, but we wrapped up the NFL season, our takeaways from the game, and hope you enjoy. Thanks. Okay, so I'm here this week with Arthur Jelen, and obviously last Sunday was the Super Bowl, and... I gotta be honest. For someone who wasn't a fan of either of the two teams involved, it was a tough one. Just because you knew what was going to happen the entire time, you knew that New England would find a way to adapt and win that game. As a Jets fan, obviously, I don't want New England to win. But for me, the thing that stands out is it definitely just goes to show how New England's able to win all sorts of games where they can get or they can score a bunch of points in offensive shootouts and like finish on top. Like we saw that in. The Kansas City game from last week, but also when a push comes to shove, and it's a defensive grind, they can win that too. And an incredible game plan against the Rams. We saw Jared Goff, and it's uh, it's a little bit fitting that that's the way that the season kind of ended with him getting exposed on that sort of stage where once Gurley was hurt, and I think we can assume he was hurt, and the Patriots were kind of able to lock down that offensive system. He just wasn't able to do much on his own, so. Or your kind of opening thoughts on 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 the game? Yeah,
1: I would say um, kind of the first thing is everyone's regarding it as the most boring Super Bowl of all time, and there's obviously some recency bias there. Um, There's some I kind of remember when I first started paying attention to football. There were some sort of boring Super Bowls. The one that first comes to mind is the Seahawks Broncos one. I literally remember having Shakespeare homework. Yeah. doing it during that game because it was so boring and um, but so it, it's kind of ridiculous and obviously I'm biased because I'm a Patriots fan and it was pretty excruciating the whole time but still I think you kind of have to appreciate as a football fan the type of football that was going on in that game uh, it's obviously super contrasting to the way this whole season went where it was the second highest um, scoring season in NFL history and in, after that Rams-Chiefs game, it looked like that was the direction the NFL is going. Um, but sure enough, the old guard in the Patriots is there to kind of put a stop to that for now. Obviously, it's going to end someday, but uh, not not this year, not today, uh, which, which feels good on my end. Um, so I understand for the general viewing public, it could be boring. But I think if you're like a football fan, someone who appreciates the game, it wasn't as entertaining as, I don't know, the past five Super Bowls and all the ones that the Patriots have been in because they're known for being in, in some just all-time classics. But there was definitely a lot to appreciate um, in that game. And I also think it's it's kind of interesting. Really, the last three Super Bowls the Patriots were in, the uh, Seahawks won, the Falcons won, and even the Eagles won, you could say they were kind of like Brady's Super Bowls. Like, obviously, he had the best comeback in Super Bowl history at that time against the Seahawks, 10 points in the fourth quarter, and then just decimated that <laughs> and, and one-upped everybody ever with the comeback against the Falcons and even in a loss to the Eagles, broke all his previous Super Bowl records and threw for 505 yards and did everything he could do win the game. But this was really, you know, Belichick's Super Bowl uh and and the one that you know he, you could say like he went out and won and i heard a lot of people say you know he should just get the mvp trophy in, in and of himself no players really deserved it which i i could probably agree with even though i thought edelman was a was a really good choice and a very deserving choice for that um and especially just the way the whole malcolm butler thing was ha- was handled last year and the way it was, it was just such a debacle, how they got torched by Nick Foles, who, as we all know, is not the most prolific quarterback in NFL history for him to come out and devise this game plan against, uh, you know, this young coach, young quarterback, these guys who have too many weapons to even account for to hold them to three points on the biggest stage um, was just pretty marvelous and, and really satisfying to watch for a guy who you wonder, you know, is he out of gas, but he's never out of gas. And he would tell you, you know, um, there's nothing else he can really imagine doing. So um, six feels great. And um, it wasn't the prettiest that it wasn't the most exciting, but at the same time for me, it's kind of nice to not have that nail biting finish, okay. even though honestly for the entire game, it was, it was just really nail-biting and hard to watch because you're like, all right, the ribs are just going to pop off for one or two plays right now and go up by 14 immediately. Um, you've seen it where even their defense, they can get a strip sack or an interception or something and take it to the house and then get it right back. Golf goes to Cooks or Woods or someone for a deep shot and all of a sudden you're deep in the hole. So I thought it was, it was just such a complete effort and that's what made it so interesting and, and what made it Exciting was the fact that you know these two offenses are capable of doing something. It could have happened at any point, but um, gladly for me, it was the Patriots that were able to grind it out in the end.
0: Yeah, I think there were two plays for me where I looked at that as sort of the turning points of the game, if you will. There was that one play where the Rams had Cooks wide open in the end zone, maybe like 40, 50 yards away, and then Goff was just a second late threw up a bit too much of a lob and England was able to recover, deflect the pass. So, you know, if that, if they're able to complete that, which I think pretty much all throughout the regular season, those were the passes that they were able to get done, then, um, then you're obviously looking at a very, very, very different game. And also there was a moment late where it was 3-3 and the Rams were really for one of the first times all game able to mount some kind of a drive. Heading into New England uh, territory, and then Gurley put up like his strongest run of the game. It was fourteen or fifteen yards, but then the Rams get called for hold, so it's first and twenty, and aren't able to do anything with that. And eventually, you just knew that New England would find a way. I mean, just with the system that they have in place, you you kind of trust that they're able to at least get like ten points in a game. Yeah, but I,
1: I yeah, I, I definitely thought the Patriots' offensive game plan. Of attacking the Rams' defense was sort of interesting. Um, they started off really on that on that first drive and early in the first quarter, just run heavy as you would expect because that's what uh, they've had success with the past four games and especially in the playoffs. Um, but then you you have Brady taking twenty throwing twenty five passes in the first half um, against a, a really good D line and a secondary that was giving him a lot of problems coverage-wise. So credit to Wade Phillips on that one. Um, It it was weird. And then you saw them on that last drive. They ran the ball the entire time basically without passing it except for those um, three plays in a row out of the same formation running the same play where you go option route up in the middle of Edelman, hitch on the outside to Burkin, then seam route to Gronkowski. It was was just interesting how it it was the way I kind of described it when I was talking to my dad. After the game was um, kind of reverse psychology. <laughs> the that way, that way they planned that game out. Because you're thinking at halftime, right? They've run the ball. I think Michelle had six carries at half for something in the mid 20s, and Burkhead had like four carries, and White had one carry. So they'd run the ball 10, 11, 12 times and thrown it 25 times. And you're like, well, no wonder they can't get anything going. This is just such a lopsided, you know play-calling attack right now. Um, Usually you don't see this onslaught of Brady passing until the end of the game when the defense is worn out, the secondary is worn out, and he can just pick him apart because the pass rush has nothing left in the tank. Um, And obviously, you know, the Rams deserve really just as much credit for for kind of befuddling the Patriots and everything. But um, the – kind of flipping the script, just worked in the end, and and it was it was really satisfying to see at the end when they the Rams had the Patriots pinned back inside the five after the Gilmore interception, and they break off a couple 25-yard runs with Michelle Burkhead to get it all the way down into um, field goal range. And then I was very happy that uh, Belichick didn't kind of um, get too big for his britches and too cocky and just kick the field goal there to put it out of reach instead of going for and possibly giving the Rams one last gasp. And I was also happy that uh, they opted to go for the field goal and I missed it so that uh, the Patriots could get Brady back on the field for the final kneel down. Because um, I, I didn't want some dumb, like, run the clock out, get sacked, no timeouts and everyone storms the field. It, it needed to have a... What was an ugly game needed a nice like, solid finale. And, and if there was one thing we got out of it, it was that.
0: I think two, just one of the keys the whole game was just the pressure that New England was able to generate against the Rams offense and and that O-line was really incredible to watch. And it was one of those things that we had been hearing about or that we all knew kind of coming into this game that if you can rush Goff, then he will make mistakes and he will be kind of scrambled Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's his third season. Hasn't been in like a long playoff run like this before. It's the sport's largest stage and he has trouble reading defenses, so that's all just kind of seemed like a recipe for for trouble, I guess. And, and we saw the pressure last week that the Patriots were able to get against Mahomes, but when you have a guy like Mahomes who's just so good at improvising and he has that arm and he can make the miraculous throws, it's only a matter of time before he before he gets you, really, no matter, what you, no matter what you do. But with Goff, he really struggled to read what was coming after him. And he was just on his back time and time again. There was that really ridiculous play where he was running off over uh, to the sideline, and, and it seemed like he, he almost pulled up at the end, just kind of expecting to gently go over to the sideline, and then got absolutely rocked. Like, you can't let that happen to yourself. But the pressure was really impressive. And New England's O-line was just so ridiculous, just all playoffs long. It was just really insane where once they started to run, they would just, it just, time and time again, they were able to wear everyone out. And eventually you get to the end of the game and every run's at least seven, eight yards because the defense is just so worn out because they hold the ball for what seems like three quarters of the game. And when you just have that much you know time spent on on the field trying to guard against these like monster guys it's it's really just a tough thing yeah
1: and i mean going back to the to the defensive part and especially the pass rush rightfully so going into the game a lot of the focus was on donald and sue and their ability to get after the passer um because you know aaron donald had 20 and a half sacks and Domkin um, can sue has this reputation for being just a super nasty defensive tackle who when he wants to can really get after it uh, and has had some success against the Patriots when he was a member of the dolphins. Um, but again, just the, the word I keep going back to is just satisfying, especially after last year when the Eagles came out and said just verbatim, we didn't fear anybody in the front seven of the Patriots. so We were able to drop back and do, and just just pass all day because we knew they weren't going to be able to touch foals. Um, but, I mean, what a difference this year. And I think you you, you started to mention it, how McVeigh's kind of plan was to milk the play clock a little bit and get it below 15 to the point where the radios and the players' helmets cut out so that Belichick wouldn't be able to communicate to the linebackers on the field and move them around based on the front that they're seeing. Um, but at the same time, something the Patriots started to do towards the end of the season in the playoffs was adopt this so-called like amoeba defense where two guys are the guards standing up and then two guys in three-point stances coming off the edge as rushers. And then you have a safety like Chung standing in the middle linebacker at high tower over the tight end on the edge. And at the snap, everybody either drops back or rushes the passer, and you have a stunt coming from one side and a twist and then a safety coming off the edge. So, it is, it is kind of – It's. It's. It's a, it was an interesting strategy for McVay because it does kind of cut out the Patriots' ability to adjust, which is something they're so good at. But at the same time, you have a young quarterback and you're giving him like eight seconds when he gets up to the line to diagnose where the hell everybody's coming from and no one ever did the same thing on consecutive plays. So it put them in a tough situation. But I honestly thought, you know, as – Edelman was deserving because he was really the only offensive threat all night. At the same time, I thought a guy like Hightower who was also very deserving, just his ability to constantly bull rush, twist, stunt, get guys in the right position, and just you know feast on the Rams' offensive line all night, which rightfully so before the game had also been praised because they were the only offensive line in the entire league to be intact for the entire season, um, all 16 games and throughout the playoffs. So you'd think of them as a very cohesive unit, but, um, I can think of, you know, 15, 20 plays where there was just a free runner and one offensive lineman just standing, looking around, not knowing who to block. Well, one of the safeties comes through an open gap and gets a free shot on golf. So, um, it was obviously just a, a really masterful game plan and surprisingly poor execution on the part of the Rams' offense and the Rams' coaching staff, which McVay did acknowledge in the postgame. But um, you, you did assume it was, it was 3 nothing at halftime, and we'd expect something similar to the AFC Championship where each team scores 30 points in the second half. But um, a lot of credit to the Patriots' coaching staff, which doesn't really need any more credit. But credit where credit is due, they, they got the job done.
0: Yeah, One of the weirdest subplots of this game and the whole later stage of, of the playoffs was what was happening with Todd Gurley. And it's funny because he gets five touches two weeks ago against the Saints and then 11 in the Super Bowl. And to me, he didn't Look awful, I guess, is how I would put it. At least when he was running with the ball against the Saints, he had those drops, and you were wondering if there was some sort of choking happening. But when he went for the touchdown run of six yards, looked reasonably physical, evasive as always. And I wasn't quite sure what to make of it because clearly everyone's saying that he's hurt. We know that that left knee has been a problem since really even the season's opening week. But it gets to a certain point when it's either use him or not because the way that I look at it is 11 touches is more than enough for him to, where if there's a significant risk, then 11 touches is more than enough to re-injure something if you're harboring that uh, kind of a thing. And if it's, if it's the season's final game, I'd say either use him or not. So maybe give him 20 touches instead of 11, because in a game where the Rams just really couldn't do much of anything with the throwing game, you know, maybe at least mix in a little bit more because CJ Anderson was a phenomenal story. Don't get me wrong that the game against the Cowboys was a lot of fun to watch, but against guess England he's not exactly moving the needle, he's sort of like a mixing guy. So yeah. I don't know what, so if you were the coach of the Rams, like how would you have handled that whole situation? Well,
1: I, I think it's a situation again, similar to the Malcolm Butler's thing last year in the Super Bowl. We'll probably, you know, never know. Um, what exactly is happening? Because I don't, I don't really buy the injury thing. Because it's like, oh, well, if you're worried about long-term health, like, dude, like, you, a lot of teams get here early in the phase of what they assume will be a dynasty and never get back. So you can't really take this opportunity for granted. If you, you know, anywhere above zero percent, you got to give him a chance to go, and especially to the point where. They have like 80 total yards going into the fourth quarter. You you got to give the perennial MVP candidate a shot to see what he can do, and they did give him 10 carries and and you mentioned his 14 yard run that was called back because the holding, and and there were some other runs. I mean, but at the same time, he was pretty much falling forward on all those runs. It's not like he was getting caught in the backfield or he wasn't reading holes per- correctly or anything like that. Like the the Patriots front was holding him to three and a half yards a carry, but he was getting those three and a half yards, where CJ Anderson a lot of the time he was getting caught up in the backfield. So it it has to be something disciplinary or, or some kind of argument or whatever. If it's an injury, it's kind of ridiculous because, you know, as you mentioned, it's the biggest stage. You can't really, you got to put all your cards out of the table. Oh, sure. not, like, it's not like you're hiding anything for the, from the next opponent or anything or worried about what someone's going to see on tape. You got to, do what you got to do. And I thought that was a huge win for the Patriots, really, without anything that they did on the field, because a lot of the talk going in the game was how they'd have to adopt the Marshall Fox strategy from Super Bowl 36, way back when the dynasty started, when they just chip him, chip him, hit him on every play. And I did notice when he was in the game, they would do that on some of the passing plays. But uh, at the same time, you know, they didn't even get an opportunity to do that and didn't really have to worry about that and could just sink back and go cover zero and just worry about getting after golf and manning up against those guys. Whereas if you have Gurley in the game, it's a lot tougher to go cover zero and blitz because either he's going to be matched up on a linebacker or there's going to be no one left to cover him. So um, Whatever it was, it made the game a lot easier for the Patriots and, and it's certainly a head scratchy move and I would be kind of shocked if we find out what the real reason is. here.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just one last point about this game is it's something that, that I've kind of learned to uh, overlook, but it's that just how unguardable Edelman really is. I think when we talk about all of kind of the best receivers in the game, all of the usual names are always uh, kind of uh, put up, but you don't really hear Edelman even in that sort of tier two or maybe even like a top half of, of that tier three. But an important game when it matters. There's almost no one that I would rather have just because, I mean, he's so small, such a bowling ball that he's so evasive and then agile. I mean, Aqib Tlaib had no shot at covering him all game long where he was wide open time and time again. Mm. where And just that trust between him and Brady that's built up over the years. In the fourth quarter, you know that that pass will be over to Edelman across the middle and there's almost nothing you can do about it without you know, having two guys there and then leaving Gronk open for, like, a 15-yard catch. So, yeah, I think that's just my one kind of takeaway. And everyone's sort of talking about him now that he's the MVP. A lot of talk about his Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, I don't know, case. But, yeah, I think it's time to give Edelman his, like, just do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's certainly satisfying, you know, after last year when he missed out with the tourney CL and then had the suspension at the beginning of this season to see him come back and I mean it's it's almost similar to when Brady came back from his four year suspension and just went on a tear for the whole season. Um and and I agree. And most of it is just really comes down to that rapport with Brady. Um, you just you just see them like he's the guy that on every play is doing short motion into out or out to in and then either running a crossing route or running a quick out speed out to the sideline and immediately turning the field and getting 11 or 12 yards of it like clockwork and really my favorite play of the whole Patriots playbook is when he motions from outside into the slot and runs that 10 yard crossing route and Brady throws an absolute laser over the uh, defender's hand right into the pocket and you get a first down on about 30-10 like they did two or three times in a row against the Chiefs it's just it's just money every time and you wonder why no one can stop it. And it's, it's just because it's, it's just too easy. It's muscle memory for those guys. Um, And, and yeah, I mean, you have the, the physical freaks and the guys that are the outside receivers, but there's very few guys that I can think of really Welker is the only other guy that comes to mind who's this effective at just finding space in the middle. And uh, I think he, but, the difference between Welker and Edelman is Edelman's a lot better at protecting himself. Really Welker yeah. put himself out of the league because he got knocked out so many times, uh, just over the middle, which is obviously a hazard of the position. It's in Edelman is sure taking his share of hits as well. But, um, and that—that's also a credit to Brady, you know, keeping the ball low. So, you know, he takes shots, and sometimes he takes shots to the back of the head. But it's not like he's standing up and guys are able to launch. It's more glancing blows. Uh, but and and then kind of parlaying that into his Hall of Fame conversation, I wouldn't—I wouldn't put him in that kind of echelon. But it, it's more just good that he's finally, you know, getting appreciation for what he is. And that's just a great postseason receiver, a guy who comes up in the clutch, uh, a guy who's there when you need him. And I do think, um, you know, regular season plays a part and statistics play a part in what your Hall of Fame case should be, because not everyone gets a chance to be in the postseason. So you got to make it count in the games that you play, but um, there is something special about, you know, always being there and always playing in these games and, and doing whatever your team needs to to win these games. And, and sort of similar to Gronk, it's not only catching passes and things like that. He's the guy that's always motioning in and cracking down on a linebacker for a toss play, like the play that won the Super Bowl against the Falcons on James White. He laid a nasty block on Dion Jones, I think it was, that... Really open it up for White to squeeze his way into the end zone. So it's these well-rounded guys and these guys that are just Patriots players, and that's the best way to describe them. So putting him in the Hall of Fame doesn't really isn't necessarily warranted because it's not the goal of playing for the Patriots. The goal of playing the Patriots is getting your three rings, getting your four rings, rather than all the personal recognition that comes with getting enshrined in camp. One more thing, I, I, I have to stand up for my boy, obviously. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of hate coming down on Tom Brady for being a liability in that game, which I think anyone that knows anything would label that as totally ridiculous, but one thing that has sort of up a few times is the comparison obviously a lot of people say that this is the last one and it had that kind of feel where it was like a swan song for the Patriots the way everyone was talking after the game celebrating the way everyone acted during the parade and one comparison that particularly irked me was the uh, saying Brady looked a lot like Peyton Manning in Super Bowl 50 where he was just kind of out there and he was just he did he didn't do anything wrong he didn't do anything to win the game And I would just like to say that Peyton Manning did do a lot wrong in that game, and he was an absolute liability to his team at that point in time. And you know because Brock Osweiler was a much more capable quarterback than Peyton Manning at that particular point in time. Not saying that, you know, Brock Osweiler is anywhere near that now, but for whatever reason in that particular season, Brock Osweiler was a better quarterback than Peyton Manning in arguably deserved to be playing in that Super Bowl more than Peyton Manning because of what he did during the regular season, including beating the Patriots. But um, – and and I think a lot of that comparison comes from, you know, just what the defense was able to do in those two games and kind of carry the offense. But at the same time, you know, I remember Peyton Manning – I don't think he had a touchdown. He might have had an interception, and he missed – I remember, I think he missed Owen Daniels three or four times wide open in the end zone. And you didn't see Brady do that. You saw him when he needed to. He made those throws out of those... That same formation running that same play. I mean, that throw to Gronk in and of itself is one of the best throws you'll see all year. Dropping it in the bucket between three defenders to a diving tight end uh, when people know that's where the ball's going to go, and then obviously just picking the defense apart, getting the ball to Edelman, getting the ball off to your backs. What do you need to? I just had to dispel that theory uh, before it went on any longer, before anyone started to buy it. Agree that it's it's pretty it's pretty bogus as well.
0: No, I mean Manning was absolutely awful at that point where <laughs> he could barely throw the ball ten yards. So I'm not going to compare. It. I mean, clearly this wasn't the best Super Bowl for Brady, but it, it wasn't even close to
1: that level that we saw. But like- it's also like like look at the standard he set for like. I mean, also it's like we we now have nine different games to compare to. Two- yeah. That's half a season right there. Like you're talking about half a season when people start making MVP considerations for the regular season. Like that's how many Super Bowls alone that he's played in. So, you know, it's it's. We don't need to say anymore how ridiculously um the um just the
0: legacy that he's built. Up on, but when you look just at the stats of this era, just how many conference championship games that they've been to, how many Super Bowls they've been to, how many times that they've won. It's just, it's the kind of thing that I don't think can ever really be replicated in the NFL just because of the nature of the sport and how quickly things change and just the way that the playoff si- system is set up. If anything can even come close to this kind of pace that New England has set over the last 18 years, then that would honestly surprise me. But and not even, year. not even the eighteen years. Literally, the last five years or so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they've been to, they've been to four and six now. Like, how yeah. many times has that happened? So, yeah, I, I mean, because this whole era, there was the first kind of part where they won three times, you know, quickly in the like early two thousands, and then there was a bit of a lull, but but now it's the last like six years, especially, have just been yeah. absolutely ridiculous. That's
1: and I mean, there's there's articles out there about how close they are to be, you know, before this game, how close they are to being zero and eight and eight zero. I mean, you talk yeah. about they won those first three, and then you know you have the two just absurd, like nonsensical losses to the Giants, where <laughs> you know, like clearly the better team and somehow lose those games, and then obviously Seahawks and Falcons, like debatably, got lucky and got their retribution for losing to the Giants and and then the and then Eagles game and then this game. So, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to be able to compare and make those kind of judgments based on, you know, oh, they played like so poorly in the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, it's the Super Bowl, man. Like, someone else can <laughs> and then you can talk. So,
0: yeah. All right, so that is it for us, Arthur. Thank you for uh, coming on. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was fun to talk about it. It was a good season. All right, everyone. So thank you for listening and have a nice week.